SCR 107.3. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we broadcast and record this show, the Gadigal of the Eora Nation, and we pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. The Coat Hanger is a show and podcast where we tackle women's footy with a Sydney view. I'm your host, Fiona Lamb, and I'm joined by... Emma Phillips, I'm joining you from Ngunnawal country tonight, otherwise known as Canberra. I'm, um, it's Coach Kiwi here, and I'm coming from the land of the Bunurong Boomerang and the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung peoples of the Eastern Kulin Nation. And it's Nat Morgan and on Gadigal land. In this week's show, we celebrate the four goal bags that Erin Phillips and Cora Staunton kicked, pick over the carcass of the North Melbourne kangaroos and ask, is their season over? We have the return of chat with Nat. She chatted to Georgina Hibbert about her book, Never Surrender. And we got mail. Your thoughts on last week's show and the tipping competition update as well. But first, it's time for the warm-up. Thursday the 18th of February would have been Cinder Barclay's 30th birthday. And we put together some images from some friends and teammates around the world. And thanks to Kiwi for editing it all together. And I wrote a song to go with it. So we're going to play that now. Bark cinder, cine be hot cinder's energy. Superstar, multi-sport, every moment was hard fought. Fearless friend, day or night, shining comet, burning bright. Baseball, World Cup at 17, you were just a pup. Quarterback, Legends League, pay dispute. Stand up, break the rules More than just a sexy mule Send a time to take your bow And dare to be great Stay humble and proud And what's wrong with two which is something that Cinder said when she was renegotiating her contract with the Giants. And we agree. And hey, Sue. Yes, Nat. In regards to that, 
money. There was a bit of, you know, whinging online saying, oh, as if she was worth it, as if any female footballer is worth it. But does the name Jai Richardson mean anything to any of you? No, no one knows his name. And yet he's an Australian fast bowler and he's just been paid $2.48 million to play in the Indian Premier League cricket, the T20 that's about to start over there. And he's nobody, but he's warranted some huge amount of money. So it's all all in perspective, isn't it, I yeah, guess? Yeah, yeah. And as I said in our group chat, uh, Shane Warne was paid $200,000 to give up smoking, which he didn't even do. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think I think the best answer to that sometimes is, you know, what do you expect one of the best quarterbacks in the league to be paid? And then what do you expect your star pitcher of the World Cup to be paid? And then what do you expect a fairly handy AFL footballer to be paid? Well, she was all three of those. So 200000 is just nothing. It's because she was a woman is simply why she wasn't paid it. She was a male she would be on more than twenty million easy yep. for that athleticism that she had. Homes in every capital city around the world, I reckon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now we saw some hot cinder energy during the week from uh, during the weekend during this round from Hannah Scott. She took out um, who was it from Melbourne that she took out? Lily Mithin Lily went flying. Lily Mithin was it? I didn't realise. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, so it replicated the great bump that Cinder put on for the um, UNSW Eastern Suburbs Bulldogs in 2018 that uh, helped them win. Helped them win the gong. That's referred to in the song. All right, we're going to move on. So the older players were showing their strength this week. Aaron Phillips from the Crows and Scorer. Staunton from the Giants both kicked a bag of four. And uh, as I said, I think they should be called four goal bags from now on. (laughs) It's a particularly particularly remarkable feat, isn't it, when you think about not just their age. So Phillips is 35, Cora Staunton's 39, but also their teams kicked respectively. Adelaide kicked six goals as an entire team in that game and Phillips kicked four of those. So she's kicked two thirds of this score. And Cora Staunton kicked four out of seven of the Giants' goals. So they really are very impressive efforts. It feels like a a five-wicket haul in in cricket terms, doesn't it? Yeah, that's right. (laughs) If we can bring cricket into the show. I think think we always can. (laughs) I think we always can. And if you look at some of those goals, both of them got goals that were really fast decision-making goals. So, you know, on their wrong foot, off balance, and they were able to adjust their body and get it through at, you know, a split of a split second, whereas some people might have, you know, thought to reach down to pick it up kind of thing. But um, but those two just absolute um, stars at football, really, but um, athletes in, by, by, may, by mind. So, um, you know, able to do the little quick soccer off the ground and where it counts. And, yeah, Kiwi, on that, one of the things that sets the – that those two apart and perhaps a number of the older players is their strength and you have a number of pre-seasons under your belt you know you get that strength really built in but particularly Staunton and Phillips are really known for their strength I thought one of the features of Cora Staunton's game on the weekend was her ability to move through packs and get handballs out when she was under pressure as much as her ability to score those goals. I hope people go back and actually watch Cora's first goal I know it came pretty much straight down the tap but she actually laid the tackle where the ball spilled out in that corner um, kind of around the 50 to the wing sort of area, Hanine picked it up as it spilled out and has kicked it in to a contest that's come to ground 
Cora's picked it up from there. So she is able to pick herself up off the ground from laying the tackle, get in at the speed of a kick coming in and receive a ground ball to kick it through, which is impressive second efforts, really. Yeah, yeah, great from the spectator's point of view too. <laughs> Absolutely, but the crowd was cheering. Yeah. Well, speaking about what, uh, what the crowd's been cheering for, or half the crowd at least, uh, let's talk about the Roos and where, the, where they sit now. So Collingwood played the Kangaroos on the weekend at Marvel Stadium and uh, it was a bit of a walkover really, wasn't it? Who wants to talk about that? Em, do you want to talk about that? <laughs> Kiwi, Thanks, do you want to talk about that? <laughs> ask Nat. Nat might want to talk about it. No, don't ask well, Nat. She's not allowed to talk no, about it. No, no, ask me, ask me. My <laughs> favourite quote half-time. was... At half-time. Yeah, so I'll just, I'll just throw to Nat first. Yes. Good on you. Thanks. Look, I was just going to say, I read a quote by Sarah Black this afternoon and she said, the Roos sunk to their lowest ebb in their short but stunning uh, AFL history, failing to kick a goal and comfortably recording their lowest score ever. And that was eight points. And I thought, yeah, I love lowest ebb. It's a nice description. M? I ran about half time. I think I was ready to, you know, turn off the footy and actually never do anything regard- related to footy ever again. I was, wasn't going to do the podcast. I wasn't going to coaching next week. It was all done. Um, I think it's a fair bit to pick apart in this game. Um, and uh, the fact, of course, that North is sitting outside the top six in the ladder has probably shocked most people at this point in the season. We're nearly halfway there. That's the big talking point. The other one I think to come out of the game is just like the game before that against Melbourne for North, they had a lot of trouble inside 50. So they actually beat both teams, both Melbourne and Collingwood, getting the ball inside 50 fairly substantially. They had 16% more forward movement than Collingwood. Um, they had 31 scoring shots. I think it was something like 26% was their return, was their efficiency inside 50. So, you know, they're getting it in there, uh, but they're just not you're not using it very well. They scored eight points and zero goals against Collingwood on the weekend. So a lot of questions to be asked. And they were asked of Darren Crocker in the press conference after the game. And, look, he didn't give a whole lot other than to say things like it was clunky, the ball was moving, you know, slow ball movement. And it's, I get the impression too that they're not necessarily perhaps running hard enough to get to contests. So their uncontested ball use is down. It's down in both those games. It's been down against other sides. Are they running hard enough for each other to receive handballs and therefore give themselves a chance to get a cleaner ball movement inside 50? Um, you know, look, it's going to be the area they're going to have to look at. They desperately need Jess Duffin back. She's not yet ready, I think at least another week or two away, uh, that could make a big difference to their star power. But they are certainly under the pump, no question. Yeah, look, um, the, I just think I was at the game and, you know, a few people around me were like, oh, you must be pretty confident because I had tipped the pies to um, beat the ruse despite whatever every, everyone else was telling me. Am I crazy? But um, I actually never was confident that the pies had put them away throughout the match. I always thought if you look at if you look at that side with the likes of Ghana, Bruton, Cashmore, all of those all of those um, players through that midfield, they could turn the game at any time. So um, you know, it was like Magpies hadn't quite done I didn't think had hadn't quite done enough on the scoreboard to really um park themselves in into a resting kind of a zone but um watching the game it just looked to me like North was struggling to have a forward line with impact they were playing really 
high up the field and weren't I didn't feel like the actual um, defence for the Magpies had a lot of pressure and I don't know what their stats were but I know Emma King is a pretty handy um, forward when she flicks up there she only had five disposals the whole game which I just feel like they didn't use her enough and she gives away or she has a lot of height over the taller defenders for the Magpies so you know put it on the head a bit better or you know make make use of that and exploit the shorter defense that the Magpies have but um yeah perhaps North just didn't quite have the right tactics for the night so uh credit to Magpies and um I think they're just on a roll now from what they started a couple of years ago and um and just keep every week they just look a little bit stronger a little bit stronger and and it's their not their key players, it's the other players that are starting to step up um, the last few weeks. And and I think Bree Davies in the midfield, um, 31 disposals playing against Emma Carney. That's uh, pretty terrific uh, athleticism, I think, for um, for a cross-coder. She is too because she was also a soccer player. So, um, you know, North have a, such a sh- strong, solid midfield and the Pies are able to um, dominate in there. So... Um, yeah, definitely. I think some shaky, shaky wheels down at uh, Arden Street this week. Yeah, and so um, as Gemma Bastiani said uh, in her analysis on Sunday night, it'll be interesting to see the um, Collingwood play Frio because we're gonna we're gonna learn a whole lot more um, from that game about uh, how they're gonna sit later in this. Um, in this season. All right, we're going to move on Demons. Now. They play Demons this week, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, so when do they – I guess the question is when do they play Frio? Oh, okay. Well, maybe, she thinks that's the, maybe she thinks that's the grand final. Oh, <laughs> Everyone's maybe, adjusted. Oh, maybe we've revealed what she didn't actually say. <laughs> I was listening to play <laughs> on uh, the the post-round post, uh, analysis with um, – with uh, Rana Hussein and and that she was um, saying that, but she didn't quite say that she thought it would be a Collingwood um, Collingwood Frio Grand Final. But you heard it here first. <laughs> Ra- Rana may not want to because I think she's Richmond, so I don't think well, they want to ever is. admit Collingwood are that good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, we are going to move on now. Um, so what's hot in the huddle? We had chat with Nat. Nat hasn't had a chat for a while, but she had a chat with Georgina Hibbert and here's a little snippet of this conversation and you will catch the rest of that in the fifth quarter in our podcast. So here it goes now. Was there anything you were shocked at, uh, the behind-the-scenes things or anything that you weren't expecting that you saw once you were, you know, embedded with the team? Um, that's a good question. Um, I don't think... There was much that really shocked me as such. I guess something that really ups, kind of upset me, I guess, was, and it seems like it mightn't be upsetting, but when they were in Brisbane and um, after the game, when they had the ice bars outside, I I went out and I went, they haven't, the ice bars are there. What are they doing? And I went back inside and and I thought into the change rooms and I thought they're going to have to go out there. And there were hundreds of people there. And I thought, you've, they've just been beaten on the field and then they have to do this. And I thought, I can't imagine that ever happening, happening in men's football of any at any level, you know, yeah. let alone at the top, you know, the elite level. Um, and, I mean, ice bars are often wheelie bins. That's, you know, par for the course in women's footy. Um, they don't have an actual bath or anything. Um, but to have them 
in that place I just thought that no one has thought about this and uh, to me that it sort of just summed up everything that there was at the end of the day a bit of a lack of I guess respect for the women um when it came to think small things that I mean relatively small things like that yeah and they uh, they can't jump into it in their uniform they're down in their bra and undies aren't they so they've had to walk out of the change rooms out to the back back of the grandstand in their undies yeah, it's a, it can be humiliating and embarrassing and also just rubs salt in the wound after a loss too, doesn't it? It's terrible. The um, the other thing was you mentioned that it's, so it's not even at sort of that level. It's like there's not even lights, quality lights at the training ground, is there? So they can't do night sessions or anything, is that right? Yeah, the lights, uh, they may have been fixed by now because they did renovate um, in the off-season. So um, I haven't been to the club because of COVID since um since last season um but yeah I'm not sure if that's the case but yeah they definitely you know they'd finish the session and it would be getting dark um and then they'd have to go and do their gym session after that um but that was something that Alan was not happy about really um the that having that the setup there um because they have to train at night they had their work um obviously and you know some of them are teachers and different things like that which really it's difficult to get away you know early you can't you've got to actually be there till the end so um yeah there's still there's still gaps I guess in what's how they're catered for shall we say to other people so it's a bit of an issue then with um the professionalism of the sport so and this is coming up more and more um Kate O'Halloran wrote about that issue just was it today that that came out in a couple of days ago a couple of days ago yeah <laughs> late last week Kate O'Halloran wrote a fantastic piece about uh, you know pushing out of semi-professional um professionalization of AFLW into professional arrangement which seems to be getting support across the board Let's talk about the Giants match, shall we? So Elise Parker showing her um, fantastic uh, dominance of the game yet again. Yeah, she's going great guns for um, Youngston. I think at the moment her and uh, Ali Blackburn are the two most consistent midfielders for the whole season because uh, we've had other, you know, fairly dominant midfielders that come in and out in games. But um, those two – and the reason I say consistent is I think they're pretty – regularly averaging about 28 disposals a game this season. So um, from five matches, that's um, that's a pretty solid effort. Of course, uh, Cora had her four goals in that game too. What about the uh, the injury when you were talking about um, the Irish players? Was it a West Coast player who had a knee taken out? By, I think it was Elise Parker rolling into it. Uh, yeah. The Irish press will be having a field day. They reckon that we're targeting the Irish players as it is. Now, it was totally accidental, but there's there's another one gone. I think that's three at the moment who have had serious injuries and uh, are no longer playing in the competition. So uh, what was the actual injury? What did it turn out uh, to be? Well, it's just called a knee at the moment, but it looked terrible the way it bent in. So I imagine uh, it's not a, not a short-term thing. So poor old West Coast have got another another player out. For a while, I think their injury list is quite long at the moment. Yeah. Make, oh make that four. Make that four because um, Demons actually lost um, one of their Irish as well, didn't play in the weekend, I think, with an injury. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Dropping mm-hmm. like flies this year. That's it. 
Can't Not COVID. Be like a sack of potatoes. <laughs> Was that supposed to be Sorry, an Irish accent? Someone had to say potatoes, it. Potatoes, potatoes, potatoes. Oh, we're going to get mail again this week, aren't we? So speaking of mail, we got some feedback from last week's uh, little spray that I had. <laughs> um, just uh, the so one of our listeners made the point that yes, there were some cross coders in the first season, but there have been a lot more cross coders brought in in subsequent seasons. Um, and that uh, there also were quite a few local players included in that first season as well. Uh, take that on board. I do still stand by my little shriek that I had about um, calling them a development team, and I think that I think that's done damage that is still being felt to this day. To... We did talk about that. We did talk about at least two of the eighteen-year-olds that didn't come back and play. So um, there is there is some hangover from it yep that's true that's true so it, it is significant isn't it all right so um i think we need a quick update from the tipping comp please nat well i thought i was a chance to get back up to the top of the leaderboard and what happened, um, nat? By, what well, happened? I, well i picked collingwood thinking no one else would that this is my chance but a bloody Haley, look, she's a mate of mine, but not at the moment. I was a bit furious at her because she picked Collingwood too. So she's kept a lead and her and Emma have uh, leapt a little uh, into first and second place. Someone called Jess Heen is in third. I don't know her. I don't like it because she's taken my place. <laughs> I'm in fourth. Tracy's got her tips back on track and she's now in 14th place. Kiwi, 20 and Fee, 29. But you know what? There's 50 members of our uh, uh, tipping comp at the moment, so you're doing all right. You're, no, you're about hang, average. Hang on a sec. How did Tracy jump back up when she was 35th out of 35 I, or something? Well, I think I she was she's still able gaming to, that yeah. system. You Isn't she the host of it or something? I think dirty she's cheat, dirty doing cheat. Is that what you're saying? Through the back end, and I don't mean that uh, <laughs> in any way other than a digital computer sense. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to the uh, MRO or or Mr P. What have we got? We've got some penalties, Nat. Can you tell us in 30 seconds or less? I actually haven't got them, but I think I heard on the rumour mill before from Emma, if she is able to give a yell out now, that um, that Chris Parkers is third third time in four weeks uh, been named and shamed, and it was for two of her tackles this week, wasn't it? I think the expectation is she might miss a game. Is that that was what we yeah, yeah yeah that's, it was a, it was a horrendous call. tackle and as I said earlier I I felt like saying she could come and uh, sit in my office for the rest of the afternoon I was very very um, the principal's dis- office in the principal's office exactly um, so uh, yeah I definitely did a many press markets what do you think you're doing <laughs> uh, but it was it was really disturbing to watch so I'm glad they've picked that up uh, some of the tackles were were um, a concern and I saw that action in another game by another player so I don't know what's going on if it was just a coincidence or or something else is going on or maybe it's the way that the players who are being tackled are going into the tackle something's going wrong and someone could get very badly hurt as I said it looked a little bit like a world uh, wrestling federation move um, with, where they ended up like a spear tackle with their heads on the ground, the top of their heads. It was really upsetting to see. Um, any other, apart from that injury we've already mentioned from the Giants game, anything else? There were uh, two other knees. So that's actually the first time knees have been the issue again. So uh, as to how serious, I know, because it's only Monday. Light will have only just had scans today. And, um, and that's the issue with us coming in Monday early, getting all the... Uh, 
match review um, details is a bit tricky going to air so early. So, uh, yeah. so read about it on uh, all on all the web pages and get your details. And just the Rising Star um, joint winners again. I think it must be a regular thing. St Kilda's Tiana Tiana Smith and um, uh, Becky Webster from Geelong both picked up uh, their Rising Star nominations. Congratulations to them both. Yeah, great. All right, well, we are going to need to wrap up there. Uh, any last comments from our panellists? Um, well, I certainly enjoyed my um, the chat with Nat that I had with Georgina Hibbert. Um, it was terrific. She was um, very generous with her answers and her uh, elaborated nicely on anything I delved into. Uh, the players themselves, I guess, when you read the book, it's a, and it's a great read. So do yourself a favour and go get yourself a copy. And as you said, the rest of the interview will be on the pod that will come out tomorrow. Um, had a really good 15, 20-minute chat with Georgina. And uh, and if uh, you see her at any more of the home games, buy your book out there. She'll sign it for you there and then. So uh, thanks, Georgina, for your time this week. Yeah, looking forward to hearing that whole interview in the fifth quarter. <laughs> And so the Giants come down to Melbourne this weekend and they head out to what formerly was called Western Oval, is now called EJ Witten or actually VU University Oval. But I'm looking forward to hearing the big, big sound from the west side of this town. Come on, Giants. <laughs> nice one, Kiwi. <laughs> is that all right? Let's see what happens, shall we? Um I hope the Giants get up. I hope they um, bring it. We shall see. Remember to pick up the fifth quarter in our podcast. Uh, You're listening to the Coat Hanger Football Radio Show on 2SER 107.3. Catch us every Monday, 7pm, and our podcast with extra content. Don't forget to follow us on the socials, Twitter, Insta and Facebook. And for the best harbour views in women's footy, tune in to to the Coat Hanger. So I was out at the Giants game on Sunday and I had a good chat with a few people in the crowd who were pretty forthcoming with quite a few things actually on the game and and various aspects of the AFLW competition, including one Warren Tegg, who we've spoken about before on the pod and on the radio show. And uh, Warren, you know, as as, uh, many people know, is um, a fervent Giants fan. He's a founding member, also a big Pies fan, and he coaches out at St George Dragons. He coaches the women at St George Dragons. So, um, you know, uh, many props to Warren. He knows a lot about the game. He had some great thoughts on the proposal for the professionalisation of the game. So if you could change one thing about the AFLW competition, what would it be? Look, I'd love to see a longer competition with more professional footballers. We've seen already in the move to semi-professionalism how much things have accelerated this quickly. And I just think that if you gave these fantastic female sports people the support they need to do this all year round, the product would just go um, just straight through the roof. It'd be fantastic football. Um, so that's what I'd probably like to change the most. And who are you here to see today, particularly? Well, look, Alicia Eva is a, is a favourite in our household. Um, and, uh, look, she, she gave my daughter a football when we were out here last time, and uh, she's been the apple of the eye ever since. So I'd, she's done a fantastic job this year, and again today she's just been absolutely killing it out there. Wonderful. Thanks for your time. No problems. This is Chat with Nat, and I'm talking today to Georgina Hibbert, who has just written a terrific book called Never Surrender, and it's about the Giants women's AFL team and their 2020 season. Welcome, Georgina, and uh, how are you going? Um, well, thanks, Nat, and thanks so much for inviting me on. It's I've been listening to you guys for quite some time, so it's interesting You're to be the on one. the other side. 
You're the one who's been listening. Excellent. Yep. Nice to meet the, the, the listener indeed. So um, so tell me though, how does a Swan supporter end up writing a book about the Giants? How did that all unfold? Yes, this is something that I do get asked. Um, and um, I think it all came down to basically um, a decision to follow a club or a team, I guess, that had invested in, in women's football. Um, it, I don't know whether it just came at the right time for me to watch that very the first game that I saw at, at Blacktown, the Frio Giants game in uh, the first season. But um, I think something just sort of um, just clicked for me watching it and uh, because I hadn't really been involved in women's um, footy before, not Australian football. Um, and so I guess seeing it for the first time at that, on that kind of level really blew me away um, and I'd really fallen in love with Australian football over the past five or ten years and to then see women play it um, I just thought right this is something that you know it's opened up a new world for me so yeah I guess I then drifted away from the Swans because I just got so invested in watching the Giants. Yeah, um, fair enough. You can only have one team in the state too, can't you? I'll throw, <laughs> I'll throw a quote back at you that was one of yours. You said, I was not prepared for the joy I experienced watching women play football. And reading that, I thought, welcome to the club. It's just the best thing, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I, I played soccer for many, well, since I was about seven. And, you know, that had been my whole life because that was all we had in the country. We didn't, we were, just weren't exposed um, to Australian football that much uh, where I grew up in the far north coast of New South Wales. So I knew about it because my dad used to play. Um, he grew up in Broken Hill. So I'd been sort of exposed to it in that sense. But I had to ask to play soccer and I was the only girl. So the thought of playing any other kind of football um, was just so foreign. And then with one thing and another, I just played soccer through my adult life until I had a child and then went in and out of sort of summer teams after that I actually played with Kiwi I think one season um, and so I didn't get the chance to really play it or to spend much time around it and um, which is something that I really I don't regret it but I really wish I'd you know sort of got involved in it earlier when I still could play but um, yeah I just thought oh my god where have this been all my life basically. <laughs> It's a bit like that. So how did you, what was the process of uh, getting your foot in the door at the Giants? What was the, what did you have to do to get um, in there? Pretty simple. I just asked. Um, yeah, I, uh, I'd been thinking about it for a while and I'd been trying to write about the previous season um, from sort of from the outside. And I, and I realised people aren't really interested in me and my story about football. They're, in, they'll be just, they're interested in the Giants. So um I said to my partner one morning, I've got this really crazy idea. I think I want to ask the Giants if I can come and just be embedded and follow them around for a season. Do you think that's nuts? And and she said, no, nope, just do it. So I sent a message on Twitter to Alison Zell and she said, sounds great. And from then on, from there, um, I sent a proposal and, yeah, they just agreed to it, which, I, to be honest, I was very surprised. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then and finding then myself. Daunted, yeah. Yeah, then I went, oh, I've got to do this now. Um, and so, yeah, then I found myself in a team meeting um, with the team and standing there looking around at everyone going, I cannot believe this. <laughs> um, yeah, so, but then you sort of soon, um, you soon get over that and just go, I've got a job to do now. Um, I need to, tell, I want to tell this story. So, yeah, that was how it happened. 
And were you fitting this in around your real job, your day job, or did you dedicate yourself 24-7 to this year at the Giants? No, this was around my day job. Um, I did reduce my hours a little bit, so I went back to three days a week uh, working in my day job so that I could, uh, because I had to go to training and be at the club sort of in the afternoons and evenings. So um, I was really lucky. Work was really understanding. but it was, yeah, a lot of, a lot of work for, you know, and you're not being paid, but it's sort of, um, once you get sort of on a roll, I think, um, I didn't mind so much. It was just, yeah, I managed to fit it, fit it around. Yeah. And how did you go in the early days? Did people open up to you or were they suspicious or cautious or, um, did they just open up to you straight away? Um, yeah, surprisingly, they just, they did open up. Um, I'd heard that the Giants were pretty uh, open and generous with um, their time. And and that that was really true for me. I sat down, I can't remember who I, oh, Jess Dalpoz, I sat down with her first. And she just talked and it was great. And then, um, then I sat down with a few others, Nick Barr, Pepper, um, and Aaron McKinnon and people and they were they were very honest I think they they said to me they just were happy that someone was going to tell their story um and so they they were very generous in what they told me um and yeah I I was actually I was stunned and it's a sort of you feel a bit honored you know to be able to to tell that to for them to trust you to tell their story um and that certainly uh, when it came down to the finishing the book, it certainly spurred me on thinking I had 30 women stand, waiting for it. So, yeah. yeah. Early on, um, Coach Alan McConnell bailed you up and said, so what's the story? I guess he was looking at what was your angle or what were you hoping? And you didn't really have, a, you, you didn't really have an answer for him there and then. Like how long did it take to, for the story to unfold and for you to work out how it was going to run? Um. I probably had a bit more than I let on to him then, to be honest, but probably it was a bit murky. Um, and, I mean, I'm a, I guess I'm a designer by trade and so I'm someone who is happy to start doing something without knowing where it's going to end. Um, and that's the same with my writing. So for me it was just watch as much as I can, take as many notes as I can, and then something will emerge. And um at that point and that's sometimes difficult for people to they want you to tell them exactly what it's going to be about um but by then I'd sort of realized that they felt this incredible um responsibility to grow football in New South Wales um that 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 was certainly on their shoulders um and that to me probably I thought well I'm, I'm wondering whether this is a larger burden than players in other states where football is quite well established. Um, they also, it was also clear that, um, you know, things weren't fraying around the edges, but things were some, the ones who had been there for quite a few seasons, there was pressure on them and it was starting to show in terms of, you know, the wages and the um, fitting things around work because, you know, a number of them work full-time, not only part-time. Um, and that was starting to get to the point, I think, where they wanted to say something about it. And, I mean, I listened to Pepper on your show last week and she's very open about the pressures of it. Um, and 
there is that balancing act between the newer players, you know, thinking, isn't this fantastic? I'm playing footy. I'm getting paid for it. Great. There's some money in my account. I'm getting new shoes. Whereas the other ones have been there for a while, like, yeah, this is year after year, this becomes really difficult. So, yeah, well, well, that yeah. surprised me reading the book that, like, as a, you know, a player who just played club footy in state level and too old to be part of this, to me, to be on TV and playing in semi-professional, like, it's a dream come true. I would think it's the best thing ever. But reading your book, I was really pretty concerned at the number of players with mental health issues. And you uh, you spoke to a few of the girls and people can read the book to find out more about who they were. But I guess um, I was surprised that it's not all fun and games and I guess the things that Pepper talked about in terms of financial burdens and especially the year they had last year of, you know, lockdown, travel, all those sorts of things, it, it, it's, it's really difficult for them isn't it were you concerned for their welfare too when you were chatting to them um yeah I think um by the end of the book I think I openly say you know I felt I felt very concerned after the final loss and that my natural instinct was just to console them um because by that stage I'd seen everything that they put themselves through to get to play um and then it's just over so quickly. And it comes down to, you know, could be one mistake in a game and your season's blown away because the season is so short. Um, and, yeah, that I was sort of, I did what, keep a sort of, I, I wanted to observe it without being, without prying, I guess, and without, you know, invading people's privacy and, and watching how they how they got through the season given what I knew about the mental health of some of them. Um, but the thing is, and Pepper did talk about this um, last week, is how gelled and how they stick together as a team and how um, they really support each other off the field as well as on the field and that over the course of the season I could see how much stronger they became as, as a squad, um, not just the girls in the team but the ones who would coast, you know, come in and out or ones who didn't, weren't lucky enough to get picked. And I, that's when, when the hub, when they went into the hub this season and given everything that had happened with um, Barks, it's sort of, I thought if any, this is going to happen to any team, the Giants are probably one of the best placed teams to deal with it because I knew how strong they'd become. I mean, obviously everyone has their limits. So you wonder how far, you know, these women can be pushed. Um, but it was, yeah, watching that development of the mental strength over the season I think was something that I learned a lot from um, and I think it's something that I wanted to bring out in the book because to me there's what happens on the field but what happens off the field and how they develop that side of themselves is really fascinating. Well, you mentioned Jacinda there. Now, you dedicated your book to her. And Gabriel Trainer, who um, uh, wrote the foreword for you, she mentioned Jacinda's death, but you actually didn't address it in the book itself. Was that a conscious decision or um, what was your thinking there? I'd actually finished writing the book um, when Jacinda passed away uh, and I did talk with the edit my editor quite a bit about what to do um, because it then felt, maybe it was unfinished um, because something obviously large and, uh, you know, quite emotional had happened after 
the season. But in the end, we decided um, it was best not to to address it directly. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of issues around, you know, whether, you know, I'd have to talk to the family and get a uh, get clearance and things like that. And I did write several things about it. Um, you know, writing if I was if I was using paper, they would have been scrunched up in the corner. Um, <laughs> just delete, delete, and rewrite, rewrite. But I couldn't get find the right um, the right tone, I guess, or the right sort of. It never kind of got where I wanted it to, and the editor and I agreed it just wasn't going to work. So, in the end, we just thought let's leave the season as it was. Yeah. Um, acknowledged Jacinda um, in the front, which I think is really important. Um, but at the same time, you know, this was a snapshot out from time. And I think at, the, at that, this point it was probably best to leave it as it was. Yeah, look, understandable because it was outside the 2020 season as such, wasn't it, in the off-season as well. So, look, I totally understand that, and especially when you have pressures of, you know, publishing print runs and getting things all signed <laughs> off and to drag it back because I guess you needed the book coming out for the start of this season as well, didn't you? Like otherwise it sort of loses its momentum in terms of sales and publicity and everything as well. So that's understandable. Yeah. yeah. Did you, um, did you like form special bonds with any of the players or the staff there and did you sort of catch up with them, say, after Jacinda's death or in the off-season? Have you kept up a relationship with any of them? Yeah. Um, I speak, you know, message a few of them. Um, Alicia Eva's, you know, quite open. We uh, and I had a chat with her and Elise Parker and uh, Tanya Hetherington the other day about what they where they were at, and they told me a bit about um, being in the hub and things. And um, there's a couple of them who think I should write something about this season, um, but I'm not quite sure about that. Um, Check with your so, partner and your son about that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it definitely probably won't be a book, but it might be something else. But um, yeah, I think uh, yeah for them, uh, it's been you know I've certainly um grown attached or you know developed a sort of friendship with some of them, um, and people like Jess Delpoz has been wonderful, and um, yeah, that's been that's been quite good. Um, but you know, it was sort of that period of time and they're they're busy and they go and do their stuff and um you know if they want me to write about them I will but otherwise yeah we'll see how it goes fair enough then was there anything you were shocked at uh the behind the scenes things or anything that you weren't expecting that you saw once you were you know embedded with the team um that's a good question um I don't think there was much that really shocked me as such I guess Something that really ups, kind of upset me, I guess, was, and it seems like it mightn't be upsetting, but when they were in Brisbane and um, after the game, when they had the ice bars outside, I I went out and I went, they haven't, the ice bars are there. What are they doing? And I went back inside and and I thought into the change rooms and I thought they're going to have to go out there. And there were hundreds of people there and I thought, You've, they've just been beaten on the field and then they have to do this. And I thought, I can't imagine that ever happening, happening in men's football of any at any level, you know, yeah. let alone at the top, you know, the elite level. Um, and, I mean, ice bars are often wheelie bins. That's, you know, par for the course in women's footy. Um, they don't have an actual bath or anything. Um, but to have them 
in that place I just thought that no one has thought about this and uh, to me that it sort of just summed up everything that there was at the end of the day a bit of a lack of I guess respect for the women um when it came to think small things that I mean relatively small things like that yeah and they uh, they can't jump into it in their uniform they're down in their bra and undies aren't they so they've had to walk out of the change rooms out to the back back of the grandstand in their undies yeah, it's a, it can be humiliating and embarrassing and also just rubs salt in the wound after a loss too, doesn't it? It's terrible. The um, the other thing was you mentioned that it's, so it's not even at sort of that level. It's like there's not even lights, quality lights at the training ground, is there? So they can't do night sessions or anything, is that right? Yeah, the lights, uh, they may have been fixed by now because they did renovate um, in the off-season. So um, I haven't been to the club because of COVID since... Um, since last season um but yeah I'm not sure if that's the case but yeah they definitely you know they'd finish the session and it would be getting dark um and then they'd have to go and do their gym session after that um but that was something that Alan was not happy about really um the, the that having that the setup there um because they have to train at night they had their work um obviously and you know some of them are teachers and different things like that which really it's difficult to get away you know early you can't you've got to actually be there till the end so um yeah there's still there's still gaps I guess in what's how they're catered for shall we say to other people and you Um, mean specifically the Giants or do you think across all clubs at AFLW level um, I don't know about other clubs. I heard sort of stories that, that are, are from, you know, but you don't know if they're true or not. Um, so, yeah, I, but I, I do think there's still a sense of um, then I would like to say second-class citizens, but, yeah, yeah. I, you can still feel that. Yeah, fair enough. Now, you had to self-publish this book and find your own editor and I assume, yeah, you paid for all this up front. Has it been worth the effort? Um, yes. <laughs> it's Good definitely been worth Correct the effort. Answer. <laughs> oh, look, it's never going to be something I regret. I mean, you know, it's it's something that I'd wanted to do for a while. Um, and I, you know, I think I try to kind of explain in the book, I'd, I'd come to care about this team in a way that I didn't quite understand because really there was no reason for me to do that. But um and then for me, then it became a much larger thing about, um, you know, a, a political statement, I guess, about women playing football and women playing a male-dominated sport. And I'd read a lot of um, books like Martin Flanagan um, and his books when he was embedded with Footscray or the Western Bulldogs. And um, I just thought we need something like this about women and we need, I, you know, and I think a woman should write it because I think, a lot of for football writing in Australia is still dominated by men and there's a certain style to it and a certain approach that while it's it's fine I think women will approach football writing in a different way um, and tell the story in a different way and that's what I hope to do so I thought for me it was it was really worth doing it um, to to get that story out there in a voice that hadn't necessarily been heard, not my voice per se, but a female voice, I guess. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, I loved it. It was. I'm so glad you did do it and that you did write it. It was a terrific read. It's so great to be able to read about, yeah, us, we're out there and, you know, we play footy and we love footy and 
they're basically doing it for the love of playing footy too. So it's been terrific. So the book's called Never Surrender uh, by Georgina Hibbert. You'll be back out at Blacktown this Saturday signing copies again and selling your books. Is that correct? Yeah. Every time there's a home game, uh, I'll be there. Um, Where else can people get it? Um, If you're around Newtown in Sydney, you can get it at Better Red Than Dead, uh, the bookshop. Uh, Otherwise, just go to neversurrender.sydney online and you can buy it online. Fantastic. Well, sorry we missed you last weekend at the game, but you weren't next to the bar, so I think that's why (laughs) we missed you. So good on you. Thanks for joining us today, Georgina, and great. uh, good luck with all the sales. Thanks, Nat. Thanks so much for having me. Tune in to to the the Coat Hanger. Hanger.